So, Carmen, I have a question for you. Okay. What is your zodiac sign? Um, I'm a Leo. A Leo. I'm the un- then... I'm the most unLeo Leo of them all. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. I actually don't know what Leos are like, but for sure, for sure, they're not like me. And then <laughs> hashtag not like other Leos. Yeah. <laughs> and then what is your Chinese zodiac sign? Uh, monkey. Monkey. So I discovered this week that there is primal astrology where you combine your Western zodiac sign with your Chinese zodiac sign and you get your primal zodiac sign. (laughs) And yours, Carmen, is ferret. What? (laughs) (laughs) That is the last thing I expected. Those born under the primal zodiac sign of the ferret are playful, fun-loving, and rambunctious. (laughs) Members of this sign wear their hearts on their sleeves. You will always know what a ferret is thinking or feeling. Thankfully, they are usually in a good mood and tend to perceive life as a challenging game that they are eager to win. So that definitely describes the person whose username on, like... Instagram and stuff is uh, misanthropy. So, oh yikes! Yeah. Uh, these things, yeah. these things are like they're so fun to read, but man, they really are. What was yours? Uh, mine was lemur. Yes, because I am a uh, Gemini dragon. Nice. You're the year of the dragon. Do you yes. know yours? No, wait, not dragon. No, snake. Hi, snake. sorry. Cool. You're of the snake. And lemurs. So to be honest, mostly I know the most I know about lemurs is they're really weird during mating season, <laughs> <laughs> at least um, on planet Earth. <laughs> oh, man. And I actually made that connection in Madagascar. The lemurs, all the lemurs in that movie are kind of like pervy a little bit. And I think it's because it's yeah. like trying to. Anyway, I'm not calling you a person. And all the lemurs in Bojack. And all the lemurs in Bojack. Do you like right. to move it, move it, Carmen? I like to move it, move it. <laughs> well, but I'm the lemur, so that's the question for me. I don't well. like to move, I like it, move it. move it, move it. Oh, wait, what are you? Um, ferret. Ferret, that's right, yeah. that's right. Um, other famous ferrets, because this is definitely the most interesting one. Uh, you have a lot of pop artists nice. like Demi Lovato and Vanessa Carlton. You also have Colin Dylan Sprouse, so that's fun. That's great. Wow. I actually um, love Dylan, uh, Cole Sprouse. His Instagram is hilarious. Oh, is it really? Yeah, he tries to take pictures of people taking pictures of him. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit more interesting, I think, to you personally would also be Ray Bradbury. That is and interesting. Charles Charles Bukowski. Oh. 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 <laughs> so either you're going to feel man, happy yeah. about that or kind of gross. Yeah. Which one? Mm-hmm. A little, a little, a little grappy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grappy. Oh. Speaking of Eastern signs, this does not feel like a great segue. We're going to head okay. east today. Yeah. To Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Studio Ghibli. Let's go. Let's go.
All right, so as mentioned today, we are going to be talking about one of my own personal favorite content creating studios today, which is Studio Ghibli. Today, joining us is Chase. Hello. <laughs> uh, Chase is a Ghibli enthusiast, uh, much like I am, and he is going to be joining us today talking about basically just this very, very charming studio that has made some of the best animated films, I I think, in history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think we can say that. Yeah. Chase, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. I just moved here. Um, where's here? Remind me. Oh, yeah. I just moved to Orem, Utah. And I dig it. (laughs) Um, I like to make music and draw and watch Ghibli films. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a, uh, he's got a Ghibli tea cup in front of him right now. It has like a bunch of icons from the movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'll try to post a picture of it on our Instagram or something, but it's really cute. We have our green tea, like, steaming right next to us, so we're trying to get in the mood for some some Ghibli talk. (laughs) (laughs) Very aesthetic. I like it. So, to start out, I just kind of want to know from you guys, what is your first memory of Studio Ghibli? Like, what what was your first encounter with the animation studio? Well, so I think the first... My first actual memory of Studio Ghibli, um, I want to say it was like seventh grade. Um, it was summertime, and my buddy Sarayan, he came over to my house, and I had this little, I had one of those old little TVs that you like plugged in. It was like you know, little with tiny the, box ones with but, the VCR. Yeah, on yeah, the, the, the yeah. V, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and so um, we took that outside, and he had a Spirited Away VHS tape. And we laid down a little blanket and got some snacks and like, uh, you know, just just got in the mood. And I I didn't know what to expect. I had never seen the Studio Ghibli movie. Well, I think I had as a kid, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. Not memorable. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we we watched Spirited Away. And what'd you think? I thought it was awesome. You were hooked. (laughs) I was hooked. I remember watching uh, Totoro with my sister a lot when we were younger and um, being like compared to the two sisters in that, like she was Sansuki and I was Mei, which was a little upsetting, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I love that movie. I I still think that's my favorite childhood movie. I don't know how old I was when I first saw it. Yeah, I was going through some of your old Instagram posts, and I noticed that when you had bought those Totoro chocolates, you had expressed love for the original dubbing of the fox. <laughs> My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah, yeah, the fox dubs over the Disney dubs. I, I love the Fanning sisters, but they just didn't, I don't know, they didn't do it quite enough. They didn't do didn't it just, go. didn't do it. They didn't. They didn't make it happen for me. Didn't, didn't go quite as hard as you wanted them to. <laughs> no, they really, like, I, I, I don't know. I think their bo- voices are a little boring. I just, yeah, the, the Fox dubs were much brighter and cuter. My first experience, so I have kind of two first experiences with Studio Ghibli. I have, like, first contact and then, like, first involvement, I guess. Mm. Because I remember being really, really little, like maybe seven, eight years old, and seeing Kiki's Delivery Service be advertised on TV. So this is like 
1996, 97. And, well, no, it probably would have had to be 98 because we had just heard my parents talking about this really interesting news story where there was this anime that was showing in Japan that was causing seizures for some of the kids that were <laughs> watching it. And um, it turns out that was actually an episode of the Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh. you know, my, my brother and I, we loved watching cartoons. We loved watching TV, but all of a sudden like anime became one of those things where it's like, we don't know which one it is and we don't want these seizures. <laughs> that we don't even know what seizures are. But they're we bad. Just, like, it sound, we knew it was bad because yeah. my parents talked about it in a way that was like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Kids were hospitalized. And of course, like, Japan stopped airing that episode of Pokemon and it never made its way to the US. And, Ugh. you know, of so course curious. it's not going to perpetuate, but we're paranoid and we're like, oh, we can't watch any anime <laughs> then. We can't risk it. And so I remember seeing the commercial for Kiki's Delivery Service, but being like, oh, I really want to watch that, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until 2000, oh, what would it have been? 2001, when Spirited Away won for Best Animated Film, oh. that I was like, oh, man, I really want to watch this. By that time, I was... 12 years old I was like full into anime at that point and I was like I want to watch this movie like it won it's got really good reviews like I was reading reviews in the newspaper and I just said mom we have to go see it it's showing in the theater and from then on it was just like a ghibli explosion mm -hmm. at our home yeah we were renting them from blockbuster and hollywood video and my mom was buying them and <laughs> it yeah we just got fully invested. Our VHS got lost in, you know, the years or whatever. And so we lost the Fox dubs. Um, but we we have been re-upping it, like, in DVD format and in Blu-ray format. And, you know, the next kind of step up. Um, mm -hmm. How many Ghibli films do you own? Oh, I was not prepared for this question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd say maybe six. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. If I had to guess, I'd say maybe six. That's reasonable. Yeah. So let's uh, get started on the history of it. Let's do it. I, I thought about the best format to do for this episode. And I think, honestly, just starting from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, like how we do. How we do here at KWAK. <laughs> Quack. 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 <laughs> so the first thing that I kind of want to mention <gasps> is that, like... He gets Did it. You just get That's that. He gets awesome. it. We've been playing a lot of duck games, so I think that hits him doubly hard. It does. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "What are they?" I was quacking? like, "Quack!" And then I looked over at the tab and yep. it said, "Kitten whiskers and quack." Kitten whiskers and quack. Kitten whiskers and quack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to probably replace Kanye in that. <laughs> we have feelings about Kanye that are not the same when we started. <laughs> so talking about Studio Ghibli. It's really tempting to kind of say Studio Ghibli and think of it synonymously with Hayao Miyazaki because the most famous movies, at least in the U.S., to come out of Studio Ghibli are the ones that were either screenwritten or directed by Miyazaki. But I think it's really important to note that there's a lot of really good movies that Miyazaki had nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. So 
That's why we're going to title it Studio Ghibli instead of Miyazaki. It's something that I do definitely just want to kind of like throw out there and say, hey, we're going to talk about some of the other creators in the studio. For sure. Some quick facts about it. It was founded in 1985 by three men. There was Isao Takahata, Toshio Suzuki, and of course Hayao Miyazaki. Since its founding, it has produced 20 feature films with the 21st underway right now. Of those 21 films, 12 have had Miyazaki's involvement in one way or another. And also, I kind of expressed my love for Joe Hisaishi back in our movie score episode. Oh, yes. (laughs) And I just, I like, have such a deep love for him. And it's because he's written scores for movies outside of Ghibli, Mm -hmm. but he has written so many for Ghibli that, like, it's just, it's hard not to have that sort of love for him and what he has done Hmm. for the studio. Right. He has actually written scores for 10 of Studio Ghibli's movies, so a full half of them. And of those 10, nine of them were actually Miyazaki films. Hmm. So they are, those two are definitely close collaborators in uh, their work. Mm -hmm. And... Not that it ultimately matters, but we talked about in our Academy Award episode how who gets the award each year really just means nothing. <laughs> yeah. But the studio has won one award for Best Animated Feature, which was Spirited Away in 2003. And four other of their films have actually been nominated for Academy Awards, which I will mention when we get to them. Mm. As far as the founding of the studio goes, normally I find foundings of studios to be very interesting. Back when I was working on the non-Disney fairy tale episode, I ended up writing enough notes on the founding and history of Disney animation Mm. that we could probably do a whole podcast on it, or at least like a mini episode. I ended up having to cut so much of it because I was just like... I have I have too much here. This yeah. is supposed to be about fairy tales and not about Disney. Right. <laughs> for a, for a non-Disney fairy tale episode, I am talking a lot about Disney. That's, yeah, that's all right. This is kind of missing the point here. Studio Ghibli's founding, however, like I did so much research into it and I was just trying to find all of the juicy deets and it is as pure as the films that they produce. That's good to hear. Honestly. So good to hear. It was just founded by three guys who wanted to make change in the animation industry. And they That's did. It. They did it. They did. <laughs> they, they really super did. <laughs> uh, one note that I want to make before we really get into the meat of the movies is Ghibli is actually Arabic for Hot Sahara Wind. Huh. This is something that was founded to convey their desire to blow a changing wind through the industry. Hmm. And it also happens to be the nickname of an Italian warplane, which reflects Miyazaki's love of Italian planes. Hmm. So I've heard a lot of people kind of debate the proper pronunciation of Ghibli. I've had people ask me, is it supposed to be Ghibli? <laughs> Ghibli. Because that's more, that's more Italian, which, I mean, it is. Like, it could be Ghibli, but yeah. if you look at the way that... <laughs> yeah. If you look at the way that the Japanese spell it and pronounce it, it's more, um, it's more like... Ghibli. Ghibli. <laughs> and so the Americanized version of that is just Ghibli. dropping that second I and just saying Ghibli. Ghibli. So, yeah. Just wanted to kind of 
lay that down before. Jeebly, schneebly, schneebly. Jeebly, schneebly. Mr. Schneebly. <laughs> Got it in one. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> in the beginning, there was Nausicaa of the Valley mm. of the Wind. Now, it's not actually technically the first Studio Ghibli film. It started as a manga written and illustrated by Miyazaki in 1982, which is a full three years before the studio founded. Yeah. I've heard a myth that he wrote the manga because he originally wanted to produce the story as a film. And at the time, no studio would be willing to produce an anime that didn't originally start as a successful manga. Huh. I haven't actually found anything reputable to back that up. So as far as I understand, it was just something that Miyazaki undertook because he was like, eh, this is something I can do myself and uh, I don't really need permission to do so. So I'm, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. The manga run until 1994, but the movie was released a couple of years after he started writing it in 1984. Miyazaki and Takahata worked together on this film with Miyazaki as the director and Takahata as the producer. And I definitely rank this film in my top five Studio Ghibli films. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. It has a really moving storyline on being compassionate to each other and towards nature. And even though it was produced by Miyazaki and Takahata before Studio Ghibli was founded... Uh, because they are two of the founding members, a lot of people include it in Studio Ghibli collections, which I think is fine. Yeah. You know? The <laughs> the English dub that was released after the the studio's film started picking up popularity in the early 2000s has Shia LaBeouf doing the <laughs> <Yeah>. voice. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> like the main male character. I actually really want to see it now. It's like... There's nothing significant about that. It just kind of tickles my funny bone. And I believe Patrick Stewart also yeah. does a voice in it I think as well. Uma Thurman is also it. Who? Uma oh, Thurman? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she plays like the main antagonist. Yeah. No, that's she some. Won. She won. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't remember who does the voice of Nausicaa. Yeah, I can't either. There's there's a lot of these dubs that were done by Disney in the early 2000s where they were like, who are some hot button actors that we can grab? Right. And of course, Shia LaBeouf. Shia. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I also think it's significant to include in the collection of Studio Ghibli films because it has very strong themes of protecting nature mm -hmm. and the fact that nature does become corrupted, not by itself but by the interference of human beings and that is a very strong theme that carries throughout a good 70 percent yeah. of the studio ghibli films so i mean technically not a ghibli film but you know what count it yeah it is yeah, yeah it, it is, is. <laughs> <laughs> the first official studio ghibli film was castle in the sky in 1986 it actually had a very brief release in the U.S., but the English dubbing for international markets was kind of lackluster and has since gone out of print. A new dubbing was done for it in 1998, after Disney started producing the studio's U.S. releases, but the re-release was canceled after Princess Mononoke didn't do as well in the U.S. as it did in Japan, which, like, 
duh. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Like, a Japanese movie didn't do as well in the U.S. as it did in Japan. Like, yeah. shocker. Well, especially because at this point, I feel like a lot of people's experience with Japanese animation is mostly, like, the really intense, like, fighting anime mm. shows and stuff. So it's just, like, um, yeah, yeah. They just, like, won't even, I don't know. They probably just don't want to bother. And so many of the anime that was easily accessible in the U.S. was all, like, kids' anime, too. Yeah. And so what adult is going to want to spend time taking their kids to the theater to watch something that they're going to equate in their head to, like, Sailor Moon? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, I loved Sailor Moon. (laughs) Oh, oh, 10-year-old Audrey was obsessed with Sailor Moon. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's a different it's a different ilk. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, yeah, the anime scene was just really like it was sketchy at you know the most average of times, I guess. Mm. It was just stupid at the best of times because yeah. you've got all of these like really cheap dubs that are aired on TV for Saturday morning <laughs> cartoons, and I'm sure parents were like whatever as long as i can sleep in on saturday it's <laughs> right. fine so i don't i don't think it was really until spirited away that people in the u.s were willing to observe that anime wasn't just you know sailor moon and dragon ball z but well yeah we'll get to that in a little bit i think there's still a pretty big stigma around anime especially with like even like my dad every time i talk about anime he gets real weirded out because i I think he thinks that, like, most anime is hentai. Mm. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting conflation. Yeah. Maybe we should just, like, ambush him with a Ghibli movie. Well, then, I did. That's, yeah? That's exactly what I did. I showed him, um, I showed him Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. And he really liked and it. And that hit him hard. It yeah, did how hit can him you hard. not yeah. like it? Yeah. No hentai there. Like, <laughs> yeah, nope. Opposite. It's almost offensive to suggest that, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one of the interesting things that I kind of want to point out about Castle in the Sky is that it really, much like how Nausicaa laid the baseline for like the overall themes that you see recurring in Ghibli films, Castle in the Sky laid down the importance of authenticity in the films. Because the titular castle in the sky is called Lapida, which, if you recall, is the name of a flying island in Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels. Mm. And much like the Lapida in the novel, Miyazaki's Lapida has superior technology and has evil people seeking it out for power that it would grant them. Now, if you also remember in Gulliver's Travels, the people are incredibly stupid and you're like, wow, you are very, very advanced and using it for very, very bad things <laughs> or stupid things. And I think kind of as a reflection of that, um, in Miyazaki's film, there aren't any people living on that island anymore. It it did more harm than good for the people that lived there. And that's something that's kind of ignored by the main antagonist in the film. He, he goes seeking out this power and he does not pause for one second to think, why is this place abandoned? Mm-hmm. He just, he's, he's got this very singular sort of eye on his, his goal. 
The other thing about it is that because there was a European influence on the setting, Miyazaki took a lot of the architecture from the mining towns in Western European places, uh, specifically Wales, which is pretty close to where Jonathan Swift was. So it's, again, just really interesting to note that he was like, you know what, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. And we're going to include Eastern or Western European architecture. Right. I love it. So, yeah. It's it's great. Like I just I have this deep love for Miyazaki's commitment to just creating these fantasy worlds that have like real life settings to them. Mm-hmm. It makes it so much more delightful to just be engrossed in them. Yeah. Yeah. So the next film to be released was Grave of the Fireflies. <gasps> <laughs> um, Chase has been trying to get um, I. I think I've seen it. I want to say I have. Uh, Chase has been trying to get us to watch it since he moved here. It's pretty intense. You, you would know if you had watched it, honestly. Yeah, I watched probably. it when I was like 11 or 12, oh, and geez. I have not watched it since. <laughs> yeah. Chase, would you like to tell us a little bit about that film? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's it's a tough one. <laughs> I... um. <laughs> I was recently watching it with a friend because I wanted to show her. I wanted to show her uh, Grow the Fireflies. And I think we got about maybe 20 minutes in and we had to turn it off because she couldn't take it. Yeah. But what's what's it's, it about? Uh, it's about, yeah, it's about World War II and a lot of bombings and Japan. And it's pretty much, it's like this, these two. Um, siblings and um it's this he's probably 18 i would guess and his sister's like i don't know five maybe i i think he's younger i think he's like maybe 11 or 12 is he really that young yeah he's super young oh jeez i didn't realize that that makes it even worse yeah he originally was sent to i think his aunt's to be taken care of after when his mom was sick yeah yeah because uh, if he was 18 he would just be able to take care yeah of his that's a good point own. huh yeah so yeah like chase said it's it's really tough to watch it's pretty intense. because it is about these two very young kids who are literally just forced to take care of themselves because of the bombings and the illnesses associated with rural japan and world war ii and eventually they end up just like living outside (laughs) in the country and dying of starvation yeah like hashtag spoiler alert but (laughs) it is just like that's that's what happens like you can't expect a good ending from it i think the hardest part of the movie is just watching them slowly die you know because it's not you watch oh, them yeah. starve, you watch them get sick, you watch them go through desperate measures just to survive, and just these two kids, mm. they're seeing people dying and awful, terrible things happen. Yeah. yeah. I as And as much as we're saying, like, oh, it's so hard to watch, because it is, it is also worth it. Oh, for I, sure. I have never regretted watching that movie, yeah. even though I... I don't know if or when I will ever watch it again. 
Uh, I I will absolutely recommend it to everybody who's like, oh, hey, what's like, what's a good World War II movie? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Y'all know that I'm such a war movie buff. <laughs> it's <laughs> also not. just <laughs> such a beautiful movie, though. Yeah. Visually. It and- is. Well, and I've been on a I've been on a World War II like. Well, I guess it's kind of been put on pause. But during my last semester, I was on a huge World War Two kick um, and, holo- mm-hmm. and a Holocaust kick. And I was just consuming as much media as I could. And for some reason, this like never crossed my mind. But yeah, yeah it, it applies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And even though it was really rough for a teenage Audrey to watch this film... I will say I think it was really important for me. It was oh, yeah. a huge formative mm-hmm. moment in my life because I realized in that moment that not everybody that we were fighting against in World War II was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that very juvenile outlook of, well, if they're Japanese, then they're all bad because they were fighting against us. Mm-hmm. Oh, if they're German, then they're all bad because they were fighting against us. And it made me realize, like, no, there there were victims on both sides. Mm-hmm. Sure. Victims that didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. They were just pulled into it. So, yes, I literally want everybody to watch it. Just I've... everybody in the whole world. <laughs> it's an important movie for sure. Grave of Fireflies was released as a double feature. The oh. double feature was Grave of the Fireflies and... My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, God. <laughs> Very similar movies. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know which one you had to watch first. I really hope it was Grave of the Fireflies so yeah. that you could watch My Neighbor Totoro. <laughs> and on a lovely note. <laughs> yeah. My Neighbor Totoro was written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki with music by Joe Hisaishi. And the reason why it was released as a double feature was not for the reason most audiences would assume today. It was actually because distributors and financers felt like Totoro wasn't going to do well on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Silly. That's the famous wait. last words thing. I... Wait, wait for it. It was released alongside a movie they thought would do well. Oh. And you know what? You know what? They were 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. They were correct. Like, Grave of the Fireflies did really well mm-hmm. and my neighbor totoro was just kind of like eh, but i have to wonder if it's because they released them together that seems really annoying like of course totoro is gonna be <laughs> yeah. it's going to pale in comparison to something like grave of the fireflies yeah. <laughs> i thought i think that's just completely inappropriate no i don't like it well and what and what distributors and financers felt was that they saw totoro and they said like so it's big and fluffy but it's not a scary monster <laughs> but aren't kids going to be afraid of it because it's big and gray and has huge teeth that could chomp it did they watch like the movie <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure they did some audiences did um but it wasn't actually until it was released for people to watch on TV that it really started picking up popularity. That's right. So I don't know. I guess it kind of had to be like that sort of widespread availability for it to pick up popularity. Yeah. And boy, did it pick up popularity. If you go to Japan, Totoro is like the Mickey Mouse of Japan. He is just like. He's all over the place. Everywhere. That's awesome. Him and Pikachu. (laughs) 
I want to go to Japan. Yeah, you you got to check it out. <laughs> it really is like a little video game. It's a wonderland. Sounds awesome. <laughs> and I, I mean, I get it. The film is really a soulful, earnest movie about the relationships in a small family who have recently moved to home out in the country. There's two small girls, there's their dad, and then there's their mom, although you don't see her that much because she's in the hospital due to some illness or condition that isn't really defined in the movie, which I kind of like because it really does take it from the viewpoint of the girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all because they I'm know. Sure that, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that if I had a parent that was sick like that, and I was that age, I probably wouldn't understand it. Yeah, all they know is that their mom isn't home. Yeah. And that she's in the hospital. And their dad does such a good job of just making life so good for them, and it's just so sweet. I love the dad in that movie. I know. It's the dad I want to be. It's the kind of dad I want to (laughs) be. I love the scene where they're in the bath. Yeah, and they're laughing the yeah. sprites away. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so it's cute. so tender. Oh my gosh. Uh. So I have I have a Totoro related question for you too. Okay. If you had to choose between big gray Totoro, medium sized blue gray <laughs> or tiny white Totoro, which one would you choose to have as either a companion or a pet? Oh. Well, I want to say the big one, but that would get impractical really fast. Exactly, I think we'd have yeah. to keep we'd have to keep him in the forest or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really, he wouldn't be a pet. He'd just be like a he'd be like Grop. We just visit him when we can. Um, <laughs> I would say probably the teeny tiny one, the little teeny tiny white one. That'd yeah, be pretty cute. I will give. Who would you choose, Chase? I, I think I might have to go with the medium guy because yeah. I could probably still fit him in my backpack yeah you know <laughs> you be like, like a, <laughs> yeah that seems like the size of like a medium-sized dog or something, yeah yeah right? get a little get a little messenger bag and he can like stick his head out yes <laughs> register him as a service animal <laughs> yeah. and take him to school oh that would be awesome <laughs> if only uh i honestly i i i wanted a totoro friend so badly me too mm. just fall asleep on his belly i still do yeah so here is my counterpoint I would go with giant Totoro because he could just chill at the top of the tree that's out in my yard. Oh, yeah, I like that. that's and, the perfect tree for him. And he can call a cat bus for me. Cat so bus. free transportation, free transportation. wherever I want to go. Pretty awesome. That's fair, but mine leaves little little poops everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. Little poops. That's uh, that's Acorns. true. Yeah, that's, yeah he that's... does leave that trail of acorns. So I've got that. You, yeah. <laughs> I think they're At acorns. What... <laughs> yeah. At what point would that become really annoying, though? Like, you wake up in the morning and you step on an acorn. The limit does not exist. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's got to hurt. It's like a Lego. He lives here, too. He can do whatever he wants. His life. Okay, that's fair. His acorn lifestyle does not clash with mine. Also, one other question. Soot sprites, yes or no? Yes. yes. Of course. Okay. Yeah, Chase has them on his mug right now. I and, do. And you know, oh, fantastic. I, I bought some soot sprite uh, stickers and they're on my red water bottle right now. <laughs> oh, I love those guys. Lots of little black things. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I caught one sentence. <laughs> it's so cute. Are soot sprites. Wait, are soot sprites. 
The same as Soot Gremlins. Or um, are... is Grem- so is that from Studio Ghibli too? Soot Gremlins. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. I think so. I think in Spirited Away, there's Soot Sprites, but I think in Studio or in um, Totoro. Totoro. They are soot gremlins. Mm. Oh, or am I wrong? That's that, I don't know. Let's check. It I out. don't think you're wrong. There's there's something. Or are they the same my thing? brain saying that you are right? I don't think they're the same thing because the soot sprites in Spirited Away have arms and legs. That yeah, they can right. Use. And they're and they're also just Totoro, cold. They just kind of yeah bounce around. Yeah. I don't know. This Maybe is... why not both? Why not book? Well, they're both sold on Etsy, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's actually That's see. That's all that matters is that you can buy them. Let's see. Soot Gremlins. Um, this is not conclusive. <laughs> oh, man. The world will never know. Yeah, Just looks... like how we'll never know if there are actually Soot Sprites. So most of the products on here do make it seem like Soot Sprites would have the arms and Soot Gremlins yeah. don't. Mm. Yeah, because most of the Soot Sprites also have the little... Uh... Little little stars and yeah oh yeah they eat yeah, those yeah. little star things <laughs> yeah cute the sprinkles oh. or something oh my gosh I I really want to eat those I imagine that they're probably gross nasty kind of like the the <laughs> necko wafers sort of yeah, yeah. wafers but I still want to eat them they do look pretty good oh chronologically next to be released was Kiki's delivery service in 1989. Mm. The movie is about a young witch who has just turned 13, which is the age that witches leave home to find their place in the world. Kiki dreams of working by the sea, and she finds a city that doesn't have any witches, and initially the city isn't really interested in having one set up shop nearby. And kind of counting against her is the fact that she doesn't even really know what she wants to do. She's just kind of showing up and saying, like, I'm a witch! (laughs) Here I am! So... She starts doing deliveries out of a bakery whose owners kindly take her in. It ended up being both directed and produced by Miyazaki, but he initially almost had nothing to do with it to begin with. As you can imagine, the production times between Totoro and Kiki were so close that he was originally too busy to work on Kiki's delivery service. This was the first of Studio Ghibli's movies to be based off of literature, not initially written by anybody at the studio. And, in fact, the movie was in danger of being shelved because the author of its source material wasn't happy with the direction that the movie was headed. No! (laughs) And, to be fair, this is kind of how the timeline was. The studio was working on the film. It was staying pretty close to the source material. But the source material was a little bit more episodic than the movie, where it focused more on the individual deliveries Kiki made and the friends that she made along the way. And there weren't really any high stakes or major conflicts. So in walks Miyazaki and he was like, no, we got to ratchet up the tension a little bit. So he added in a few conflicts and he kind of like heightened some of the conflicts that already were in the book and some of the events. So it kind of shaped it more into a movie that had a cohesive storyline and that actually had like moments where Kiki was not feeling so great and she had some conflict that she had to resolve and it ended up being a really good movie but when he talked with the author about it he was like hey so we're making these changes and she's like you're doing what now (laughs) Uh... (laughs) say what now (laughs) 
<laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Come again? <laughs> but, I mean, good changes, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I I love the movie. I think yeah. it's so sweet movie. and so charming. And I love the way that she learns to build up relationships with other people that does not revolve around her being a witch. Uh-huh. Uh, for anybody that hasn't watched the movie, at one point she kind of lets the doubt of her place in the world get to her and she loses the ability to fly. So she goes out and she kind of spends time with one of her friends that lives out in the countryside and they kind of have this really nice heart-to-heart talk about how you gotta just have faith in yourself and believe that what you want is what is good for you. And it's got such a good message about just self-confidence that is so important i think for girls that age yeah. to see yeah i need to see I it mean, i guess <clears throat> sorry have you not seen it no i have not oh my gosh yeah we should watch oh that together gosh. yes we should we should watch that as a double feature with uh grave of the fireflies marathon. <laughs> uh, okay all right <laughs> Oh boy, no, that would be that would be rough. <laughs> Although Grave of the Fireflies is definitely like a grab your chocolate ice cream movie because <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get sad. Box of tissues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Kiki's Delivery Service is like a fun rainy day movie. Yeah. yeah. After that, in 1991, Studio Ghibli released the film Only Yesterday, which is a slice of life drama following a 27 year old woman who decides to take a vacation out to the countryside. As she's taking this journey, she has flashbacks to her childhood, specifically fifth grade, and realizes that she has a bit of deep soul searching to do as far as how she wants to live her life. And I've never actually seen it, and I don't think a whole lot of love kind of goes towards it from general audiences, since Miyazaki didn't have anything to do with it at all. It was actually a Takahata film. Um, I've never um, seen that one I've- either. Yeah, but I've looked up trailers of it, and it looks just exactly what Studio Ghibli is so good at delivering. Mm-hmm. I'm already in love with it. <laughs> like, It sounds like it has some more adult themes, too. Like, I mean, obviously, Grave of the Fireflies does, too, yeah. but it sounds like it's, I don't know, people going through a midlife crisis would connect mm-hmm. with a movie like that more than children would, so maybe that has something to do with its success. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it it kind of sounds like Kiki's Delivery Service just minus the fantasy and then directed towards late 20-somethings, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even though it was released in 1991, I feel like young millennials and up-and-coming Gen Zers would just probably latch onto it in a pretty major way. Yeah. Just from what I've seen of it, because yeah. like... It's so easy to feel so lost when you're in your 20s, especially when you have all this pressure to, like, just get your life in order so everything else will just move along exactly as you plan it to. And it's okay to realize, kind of maybe later than you want to, that you can make changes to your life. It's totally okay to do that. And sometimes you just need to see that in sort of a external form to realize that well i haven't experienced any of this stress so i don't i don't know what you're talking about 
<laughs> I'm smelling some crap coming from Carmen's direction. Where's the poop? <laughs> where's where's, where's the that poop, Carmen? <laughs> After that, in 1992, comes my personal Studio Ghibli film favorite, like all-time favorite, which is Porco Rosso. This is the first movie I feel where Miyazaki just went, like, full send on his vision. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> the premise is actually really basic. It's about a pilot who does bounty hunter work in the Mediterranean <laughs> shortly after World War One, But, also... He has been cursed to have the face of a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, I love the character of Porco. He is just like a take no crap kind of guy. He is a kind of, I want to say that he's kind of like how Wolverine is, where he's this <laughs> tough guy and he's like, I'm a loner. But then he ends up making so many friends. Like, he tries so hard to be a loner, and no matter how hard he tries, everybody just loves him anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's that's sweet. And it's, I just, I love it so much because he, I don't know, I, I guess I would just be re repeating myself there. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see this. You've been talking, you've been talking about this movie ever since I met you, and I, I still need to see it. <laughs> I... I know I'm kind of in the minority with this particular film. It does not pop up in a lot of like top 10 best Ghibli films. <laughs> like basically it's the top half of Studio Ghibli films, right? Uh -huh. Cuz like <laughs> there's only 20. Uh It's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> it's math. Like come on, it's not even in the top half, but I love the character of Fio in it. Uh -huh. She is the young, sassy teenager girl that Miyazaki loves putting in all of her his movies. <laughs> and she takes no crap from Porco. He tries to give her a really hard time, and <laughs> she just brushes it off, and she's like, oh, I just know that's a front that you put on to scare off other people. Uh -huh. It's okay. <laughs> Miyazaki has a great deal of love for airplanes, and it's really obvious when you watch this film. The details of each different plane are very lovingly detailed, and you can tell by the proportions that he's put a great deal of effort into portraying them as accurately as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of really actually hit home to me, like how seriously he takes planes, when my mom sent a copy to my grandpa. And I thought, oh no, my grandpa's going to hate this because my grandpa is like a cowboy kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way he's going to want to watch a Japanese animated film. But he loves this movie. Aww. Like, that was pretty cute. Adores it. He has actually made a living for the majority of his life as a bush pilot. And so if you go to his house, he is like hoarder levels of books about planes Aww. in his home. <laughs> He, he has so many books that I would be surprised if there is a single plane in existence that is not referenced in one of his books. Wow. wow. And he said when he watched this movie that the only thing he noticed that was inaccurate in the movie was that Porco failed to tie up his plane right away in one scene. Wow. <laughs> Rookie mistake. <laughs> yeah. That's so. cute. I bet he was so proud of, of like, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, he, yeah. <laughs> you would have, he would have never done that in real life. <laughs> you know, ignoring the fact that he has the face of a pig, but. 
No. <laughs> Just because you have the face of a pig does not mean that you should not be a responsible pilot. Right. And also, just kind of as a side note, I am crushed because apparently back in 2011, Miyazaki said he was interested in making a follow-up to the film if the films over the next few years after 2011 were successful. But he did end up retiring like twice in that time period. Uh And the studio wasn't really interested in pursuing the project. So I am taking this as proof to me, Audrey Stratton, that we are truly living in the darkest timeline. Speaking of, Chase is rewatching Community right now. Yes. That's all. That's all I want to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Next up is Ocean Waves, which, much like Only Yesterday, suffers from not having Miyazaki or even Takahata's name attached to it. (laughs) I have not seen it. And to be honest, from my research into the film, I am not super interested in trying (laughs) to seek it out. Why? It's about a couple of friends who find themselves in a love triangle when a girl transfers to their school and shakes up their lives in a lot of different ways, but it's not always in a positive way. And it was kind of sort of an experiment to see if the studio could produce something quickly and cheaply (laughs) for mass consumption. So it wasn't even originally planned to be released in theaters. And not only did it take longer than it expected, but it went over budget as well. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just, you kind of hate to hear that because you think, well, maybe it made up for some of its, you know, pitfalls with the extra time and money that was put into it. But on the other hand, you're like, oh, yeah, if you can't do what you're looking to do with the constraints given to you, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. It's about risks, though. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like it wasn't a very risky movie. <laughs> no, and I'm going to be honest. A love triangle just... Who cares? It's not really Studio Ghibli's MO. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it just doesn't really fit into their themes. Yeah, that whole... I I can't imagine like romantic love being a... I guess I haven't seen a ton of Ghibli films, but I feel like romantic love isn't like a... In the forefront, you know? Right, yeah. There, There is a lot of romantic love in some of the later movies, but even then, like you said, it, it doesn't really come to the forefront. Yeah. There's really only one or two movies that I can think of that even have, like, kisses in them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just not a theme. That's, that's not what they focus on, really. After Ocean Waves came Pompoko... Uh, It was released in 1994, directed by Takahata and produced by Suzuki. This is a movie that follows a lot of the themes often seen in Studio Ghibli films, such as blending of fantasy into familiar settings and taking better care of our environment. This is a very rare Ghibli film where none of the main characters are human, and instead focuses on a tribe of Tanuki that are trying to fight back against the humans that are destroying their home in the woods. It is a very Japanese folklore heavy movie and while it's been generally well received by American audiences that have sought it out it's definitely kind of hard to get invested into the lore first of all Tanuki are not even really a American creature cryptid I guess yeah they are they're dogs that look like raccoons (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay that place and I mean, they they are based off of animals that actually do exist, 
but there's this folklore behind them that they are shapeshifters. Oh. And so, like, if you've ever played Mario, you know that, like, when he's wearing the Tanuki costume, he can, like, do a little bit of shapeshifting or flying or whatever. Hmm. So, I mean, it's something that I feel like American audiences have had very, like, light contact with. But nothing that would actually, like, make sense if we were to just throw Pompoko at American audiences and right. be like, here, watch this. A bit of a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally to that, there's also the fact that Tanuki traditionally have uh, extremely prominent testicles, which they can independently <laughs> enlarge and shapeshift. Which I think American sensibilities would be a little bit weirded out by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to personally in my life be a little less weirded out by things like that. Just to help make me a little bit more culturally sensitive and just be a little less, I don't know, weirded out by other things like that. But (laughs) boy, that is just, that is a tough, tough pill to swallow, mon frere. Yeah, mon frere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah there's i don't know there's just something viscerally upsetting to me about like (laughs) even just the clips that i watched of these raccoons that have the american translation is raccoon pouches (laughs) that just happen to be between their legs oh i really want to see this (laughs) Oh my gosh. They then like blow them up to the size of like I'm not even kidding, like large boulders and they like Oh my god. Bounce around on them or like flatten them out and put them around to use as like parachutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Japan, man. I really want to see this. I wanna test my comfort levels. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen this one either. Oh, man. Yeah, I I have been aware of it ever since Spirited Away came out. And it's just one of those where it's just like, do I just go for it? <laughs> or am I good to stay away? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's probably going to end up being my favorite Ghibli film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It may be. You guys go for it. You guys let me know. (laughs) Okay. In 1995, Studio Ghibli released Whisper of the Heart, directed by Yoshifumi Kondo. And it was written by Miyazaki and produced by Suzuki. And this one actually has a really sad story behind it, because Kondo had previously worked as an animation director for Only Yesterday, Rave of the Fireflies, and Kiki's Delivery Service. And he was expected to become one of the top directors alongside Miyazaki and Takahata. Like, he was in line to be their successor. And unfortunately, he died three years later due to an aneurysm, which a lot of people have speculated was the reason for Miyazaki's first retirement from the company. Mm. And the other thing that I find so tragic about it is that Whisper of the Heart is probably my second favorite Ghibli film. Yeah. It's about a young girl named Shizuku that loves reading and wants to become a writer. 
and she notices that a lot of the books that she checks out of the library have also been checked out by a boy named Seiji. Hmm. Once she discovers that he is actually a boy in her school that she finds very annoying, <laughs> she's, she's torn between building up a relationship with him based on their shared interests and shunning him because he's an annoying teenage boy. It's a very delightful slice of life movie that is just so charming and heartwarming throughout that, like, my heart feels like the Grinch's before he, like, learns the true <laughs> meaning of Christmas. And then at the end of the movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that my heart had room to grow, but it's like 10 sizes bigger. Aww. It's sweet. <laughs> yeah, I I recommend it. There's not really any fantasy in it. There's... There's like a fantasy sequence, but it's a story that's being told by another person. Mm -hmm. So it's not integrated really into the story itself. And it's, yeah, it's just very sweet. They're middle schoolers. The two characters eventually build up a relationship that you're like, oh, I ship it so hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, as, it's as close as I think they have ever gotten to having a romantic relationship yeah. in their movies up to that point. Princess Mononoke. Chase likes this one. It's a good movie. We've got to talk about this one. Chase, I'm I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, kind of take the reins on this one then. Kind of tell us a little bit about the movie and what it is that you like about it. Because I'm going to be honest, I have my criticisms about it. But I really <laughs> want to hear, I want to hear from you first. Like, I, I want to hear why somebody would like it. I love how focused it is on... Um wildlife and treating our forests right and gosh i don't even know where to start it's just such a good movie uh carmen do you want it do you want it um i watched it yeah so this was the first ghibli film that we watched when chase moved here and i really liked it i i thought it was really pretty it was really beautiful like most other ghibli films mm -hmm. um it did kind of drag near the end. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I'd agree with that. And when the when the spirits are having like the wolf spirits are having conversations with the is this the one that starts with that like gooey monster? Yeah, it starts That's with that. That's right. The, yeah. When they're having when the wolves are having conversations with like the warthogs or something, I felt like it got just all of a sudden uninteresting. And that makes me feel bad to say because I know that like there's a lot of spiritual stuff about that, but it I don't know. I feel like it lost focus near yeah. the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just as a brief summary, it's a movie about a village prince named Ashitaka who becomes cursed after fighting a demon who attacks his village. He's maybe banished or like he goes into self-exile. It's not very clear. Basically, the village elder tells him like, you're never returning again. And he just kind of accepts it. <laughs> which Poor guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it might be a cultural thing that I just don't get. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, just, um, yeah, it might be. Maybe it's just uh, accept your fate with honor or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, while he is on his journey to find a cure for this curse, he becomes involved in a conflict between a settlement named Iron Town, led by a woman named Lady Aboshi, who has a very strong conviction in her cause. Uh, and a group of animals that live nearby in the forest, uh, near near Irontown, which Irontown is destroying the forest, so animals aren't too happy about that. 
The animals are led by a wolf named Moro and her adopted human daughter, San, who is kind of the titular Princess Mononoke. I don't... Is she ever called Mononoke in the movie? I can't remember. I can't, sure. I can't remember either. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where the name comes from. I mean, somebody has to say it at some point, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I like, feel like it's like about it's like her name is like Princess Sarah, and it's called Princess Monica. <laughs> <randomly. Yeah. laughs> I f- I feel like I feel like people I feel like she's called Princess a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, for sure she's called Princess, but I don't. I can't think of that's weird when yeah. she's called Mononoke. Yeah, she has to be she, though at some point but yeah i think for the most part the people of iron town are like yeah the the princess in the forest yeah. the princess of the wolves yeah yeah it's and i will say it is a very complex narrative mm. and it's beautifully executed and it is probably the reason why ghibli films were able to have more mainstream in the states yeah i think it definitely picked up steam with spirited away but i i would definitely feel like we have to give due credit to Princess Mononoke for introducing that to the States. For sure. And as far as the narrative go, I like that even though the end of the movie has nature prevailing, Iron Town isn't portrayed as a wholly evil entity. Mm-hmm. Like the women have important jobs and the sick and the wounded are looked after very carefully. And the lepers that are welcomed at the settlement are given important tasks as well. Yeah. Everybody has some sort of important role in this community. And I think that there's something very important to say about that. Basically saying that just because maybe you are disabled doesn't mean that you're an invalid. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very empowering. And you have to really admire Lady Eboshi for doing that for her community. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really liked her. Yeah, even though in the end you're like, you're a crazy person. You've got to stop this. Yeah. You kind of don't want her to stop yeah. at the same time. <laughs> she rocks. She's pretty cool. She yeah. Now, all that being said, my criticism of the movie is that there is a level of violence and gore in the film <laughs> that is very uncharacteristic of Ghibli films. It is pretty yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like when you say gore, I think mostly of just the nasty, like, wormy drippy things that are like yeah i don't know what it is about that but it's just i have like a real reaction to that it was so gross to watch they rot away yeah yeah Mm -hmm. see i was thinking more like the um like the samurai deaths when he (laughs) when a prince ashitaka shoots their arms off and decapitates them with his arrows definitely forgot oh my gosh i just remembered that oh my gosh The first time I watched yeah. that movie, I was, I was just so surprised. <laughs> That's so funny. It's yeah, funny. and you watch it and you like, yeah, it's so shocking that you laugh. I remember. Honestly, now. yeah. Oh my. There's some pretty cool yeah. battle sequences, but some of them are pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, I was also really disturbed by the battle sequence when, the Iron Town sets all of those explosives. And there's like oh, animals yeah. literally flying in the air oh, yeah. and just yeah. like being blown apart. Ugh. Yeah. And it's unsettling for me knowing that the next goriest film is like, I don't know, Grave of the Fireflies or Tales from Earthsea. Maybe? Yeah. 
like I can't think of any other Studio Ghibli film that even gets close to that level of just kind of unpleasantness. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so for me, like, I know a lot of people like it and I understand and I appreciate why people like it. But all of the other films seem so mild and tame compared mm-hmm. to this particular movie. Yeah. It is. And a... I mean, I'm glad. Oh, no, no. Well, I was just going to say it is, a, it is pretty adult yeah oh yeah yeah for sure yeah there's definitely and i'm fine with that i think a lot of the characters are nuanced in a way that you do have to be an adult to understand yeah Mm -hmm. i think that if if i were a smaller child watching it i would really hate lady eboshi Mm -hmm. i i think i would want to view everything in a very black and white sort of way and you just can't do that with this film. Yeah. You have to understand that just because compassion isn't shown in a way that is equitable doesn't mean that compassion isn't there. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for that. Because it obviously allows for personal growth, too. And I think that Lady Eboshi really comes to terms with that at the very end. Where she realizes, well, maybe the, the way I was going about this was wrong. Which I think she kind of says in a heavy-handed way at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's fine. I just, I don't know. When I think of Studio Ghibli, I'm just like, I want to watch something lighthearted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what, It's not the first one you reach for. Yeah. Beautiful movie, It though. really is beautiful, though. It is, yeah. It's gorgeous. And I love the little forest spirits. Yeah. Yeah, that whole scene with the forest spirits and um, when the forest spirits walking. Or what, what is he called? You know what I'm talking about? When it... Right, yeah. There's there's the little white dudes with like yeah. The little... Oh yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh uh, my god. Yeah, yeah. What are they called? That's, I don't that's what know. I was, that's what but I was they remind to... me of the uh, Koroks, Koroks from Zelda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's in, yes. any inspiration there. Oh, it's just like the whole Japanese yeah. like, cute aesthetic thing that's going on. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to have your home infested by cute little forest spirits with bobbleheads or <laughs> with soot sprites i would, would you i would choose soot sprites because those gu- these guys kind of scared me they are pretty freaky and the noise they make was so <laughs> annoying they're little butts though and their little butts their, their little, little butts, butts were so cute that's true <laughs> i didn't really think about that oh yeah they're pretty cute they are I but like some are freakier than they're others. freaky like their faces don't look like faces they just look like a bunch of holes yeah yeah it's yeah that's fair well, I would say soot sprites. What about you, Audrey? Oh, I don't know. Probably soot sprites. I just worry about having to clean up after them. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's what I was thinking. Like, I already hate dusting. How often would I have to dust if there were soot sprites in my home? Um, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Morning, noon, and night. Yeah. It was after this movie that Kondo passed away and Miyazaki took a brief break from animating. In this time, the studio did release another Takahata film titled My Neighbors the Yamadas. This movie was a massive departure for the studio in theme, style, and format. Instead of focusing on a young protagonist or young protagonists, it focuses on a family as a whole. Instead of having one overarching storyline, keeping the movie one cohesive narrative, the movie is a bunch of vignettes tied together by the family members. And instead of having a traditional anime look to it, it has a very comic book look to it. The backgrounds are minimal, with just enough environmental pieces put into the scenes to inform the viewer where they are, 
And with the characters themselves being so simple and cartoony, the changes in emotions feel much more dynamic because the changes in animation feel so much more dramatic. It sprinkles in little bits of fantasy here and there to portray how the characters are feeling in their experiences, but they aren't actually things that happen in real life. I find it very charming, and it's definitely worth your time. But if you're looking for something more traditionally Ghibli, then maybe don't start there. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's just, it's a really sweet movie. Um, uh, the elements of the short, like, the little vignettes is interesting to me. Because I really like when stories are told through, like, bits and pieces, and it's more of a collage than, like, a narrative. So I'm really interested in this one. Yeah. Yeah, I would say definitely seek it out, check it out from the library or wherever. Um, because it feels much more grounded in real life Mm -hmm. because there are two kids and you do view the world through their eyes every once in a while. And it reminds you that childhood experiences are memories. Like I couldn't tell you what I did every single day of my life in third grade, but I could give you some memories that kind of stick out to me. Even if they're really mundane, I can be like, oh, yeah, I remember my dad talking about this one thing, and (laughs) that really stuck out to me because I learned something that day. No overarching story, no (laughs) drama going on, but that's that's how life is, you know? It just, it has that feel of just, there are important things, you know, there, there are things that we call important with a capital I. And even though there is nothing dramatic about them that make them important, that's still part of our lives that we really need to just give credit to, you know? I just think that My Neighbors, the Yamadas, is kind of a good break from just media in general. Yeah. (laughs) Just just take a break. Just watch. I mean, it essentially kind of feels like almost a YouTube series that's been put in a playlist. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Just... Yeah, it just has a very sort of simple feeling of like, oh, okay, this is fun. <laughs> oh, okay, I like this too. Yeah, I'm really interested in this one. After that is Spirited Away, mm. which we are going to end the episode here on that cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> are you seriously? Not much of a cliffhanger. I was about to say, are you seriously going to like, are we going to talk about that in the next episode or something? Yeah. You wanted yeah, to break I it into so. two? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, we are definitely breaking it into two because, oh boy, boy, this is a two-parter, you guys. Yeah. This is definitely a two-parter. Yeah. yeah, this is one of our longer ones for sure. So we're going to start with Spirited Away and what I think is kind of like the beginning of the Studio Ghibli renaissance, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Where they got more of a kind of worldwide platform that they could deliver to and so a lot of the movies changed and they changed in ways that I think have really influenced international animation and storytelling as a whole Mm -hmm. and yeah Spirited Away is definitely the start of that I think yeah so we're gonna wrap it up there for now uh thank you listeners for joining us if you would like to check check us out on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Kittens and Kanye. Or on Instagram at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. Which we will start posting some things on there. I gotta set some reminders. Pinky promise. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how to pinky promise on the internet. 
Uh, Can we get an emoji for pinky promises? That's actually surprising that they don't have one. That is, yeah, that's weird. Like those two hands just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a market for this, Audrey. You should make billions, billions with a B. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. TM, TM, TM. TM, TM. We came up with it first. (laughs) Pinky promise emoji. Yeah. That's ours. It's proprietary now. I really do want to make one. (laughs) And thank you, Chase, for joining us. Thank you. My name is Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. And this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.